This is the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast, episode number two. Hey there, my name is Kira Vogt and I'm here with my co-host Bill McKee and we just finished up an amazing conversation with my good friend Mindy Templeton who has an incredible story of how she went from drowning in debt to swimming in cash flow. That's right. She's paid off $165,000 in debt and now owns eight properties and is looking to add another handful more in the next few years. What was your favorite part and takeaway, Kira? Oh my gosh. I just loved her point of view on shiny object object syndrome and how she just embraces it as a part of who she is. And I also love how she points out that it does not have to be a bad thing because I definitely get down on myself um, for having so many interests and, you know, having so many different things going on at once. Um, but she just puts it all into perspective. And I've known Mindy for a few years now, and it's been amazing to watch her grow as an investor. Um, because when we met, I think she only had one property. And like she talks about in this episode, she bought four properties in the first two years. And now she's bought four properties in the past month. Yeah. I just love her entire story and journey from where she started two years ago to now is just incredible. I love that she touched on what it was like to lose her job because I personally really resonate with that and her new mentality on comfortability and risk. It's just really incredible how at first she was nervous about doing more than one deal at a time. Now she's gotten comfortable with her risk tolerance and she's aware of what can go wrong, but also what can go right. Uh, if I had to title this episode, I genuinely don't know what to title it. Uh, she threw so many heavy hitting lines in there, and I will definitely be sliding into her DMs after this is over. <laughs> yeah, Mindy is definitely pretty amazing. Um, and just to add another one of my favorite things that she dives into is how paying off debt is like dieting. Um, you know, she says, if you don't change your mindset about your spending habits, you're going to gain that debt right back. And I just resonate with that so much. So I am just so excited for everyone to hear her story. So I guess let's bring her in. Hey, Mindy, thanks for being on as an OG like-minded investor. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I guess we'll start just with our typical first question. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into real estate investing and where you're at now with it. Sure. I'll give you my elevator speech. Um, so my journey in real estate started a little over two years ago. And prior to that, uh, I was in a lot of consumer debt, living paycheck to paycheck. And uh, for like a decade, talked about how I wanted to invest in real estate, but never actually did anything. And then um, I went crazy, as some of my friends would say, about two years ago. Um, and I got really aggressive and paid off all of my consumer debt. So I paid off $165,000 collectively of student loans, sold some cars and got some old junkers that are paid for in cash, um, just little things like that. And then I spent about 30 days reading, listening to podcasts, started going out and looking at properties. And then by the 90 day mark, I bought my first property um, and I'm kind of a go big or go home person sometimes. And I ended up buying three properties right away, like back to back. 
And then um, things got a little crazy with COVID. I got a little concerned and nervous. And so I kind of got conservative for a minute um, and then bought another property. So four properties in my first two years, years basically. And then um, did a flip. And then if you've been following me on Instagram, you saw I bought four houses in the past month. So that's where we are today. And after this recording, I'm going to look at um, another possible flip. <laughs> oh, that is just absolutely incredible. Four properties in two years and now four houses in one month, you said? Yep incredible that is I, I just can't I guess one of my big questions is with your with your consumer debt would you recommend for people starting out like do, do you think they should pay down all their debt before they get started in real estate do both at the same time like kind of what's your take on that well I think everyone has a different experience with their debt like if you just have a couple of student loans and you have a low interest rate, I say go for it and jump in and start investing. Um, I'm kind of a Dave Ramsey dropout. And so he probably doesn't agree with a lot of the things I say, but that's fine because I don't agree with what he says. But um, I do think that if I had waited, I, I would have missed out on some great properties that I added to my portfolio. Um, and that being said, if I was someone who had, you know, a bunch of credit card debt with like 20% interest rates, that's a different scenario to me. Like that tells me you should probably get rid of, you know, those higher interest debts for sure. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of people, it's, there's more underlying than just the debt. It's, the mindset that got you into the debt. And that's what people need to really be focusing on instead of just paying off the debt. Um, because I think I made a post one time about, you know, paying off debt is like dieting. And if you don't change your mindset about your spending habits, you're just going to get right back. You're going to gain that debt right back. So, so that was a long answer to your question, but, um, I think it just depends on the debt and the person, but now, to follow up with what Kirsten said and you said, Mindy, I just, I guess I was just wondering, you said it was over $160,000 of debt, which is just incredible. You don't always hear that staggering of a number. Um, can you, I know you mentioned like some student loan debt, car debt. Could you kind of just break down a little bit more? Like how much was student versus car versus maybe a little bit of credit card and yeah. So when my husband and I first got married, um, I brought a lot of credit card debt to the relationship. And so about 20 to 25,000 of that was credit card. Um, a hundred, 1000 of that was student loans cumulative between two people. And then the rest was car loans. And so like with the car loans, I didn't pay those off. I sold those cars and went and bought new ones, um, with cash, older, clunkier ones with higher miles, um, and drove those instead. So, but yeah, collectively it was 165,000. That's incredible. And just shows the commitment to everything you wanted to do as far as that. I mean, selling a car that's maybe newer and, and a little more flashier with some, some cool. Oh, I, I still <laughs> dream about that car. She was so pretty. She had a name. I will have her again one day, but I will pay cash for her next time. 
So yeah, it, it sounds like you're certainly on that path. You know, four four deals in a month. I mean, and yeah, and we're hard. um we're celebrating our two year debt free anniversary. So we haven't gotten any new debt for two years now, besides our mortgages, and that's a whole nother topic. But no, uh, <laughs> no Dave Ramsey type debt. <laughs> no, no consumer debt. I feel like it's, it's good debt. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I guess, speaking of debt is that, you know, how did you fund these four houses in, in one month when it took you, you know, two years to do four properties? Well, and that's the thing, like at first I was very nervous about doing more than one at a time. And now I've gotten a lot more comfortable with my risk tolerance and I'm, I'm aware of what could go wrong. And I also know what could go right. And so I'm kind of balancing those out. Um, but to answer your question on my current properties, so the four that I bought, the majority of them, I'm using either hard money or private money for. Um, and I'm going to use a little bit of my own. I have like my line of my key lock on my personal home. So I have that ready to go in case any of my projects go over or like when I'm doing a hard money loan, if my contractor needs paid and the draw is like taking a while or whatever, I can pay out of my own and then reimburse myself. So all four of the properties, essentially the only out of pocket I'm going to have is um, one of them I'm turning into an Airbnb. And so I'm going to go and on a shopping spree to furnish it. So I will use my own funds for that. Um, but like the property I closed on today, 100% of that is being funded by a hard money lender uh, for the purchase and the rehab. And my other ones, I'm doing hard money for purchase and then private money for the rehab. Oh my gosh. So many questions come to mind. Um, it actually kind of reminds me, we talked to Lauren and Kyle Clugston from at Rentals to Wealth, and we kind of got into... Um, you know, using your primary residence in order to keep investing. So do you kind of feel like that's what you're doing with your HELOC? It's kind of like almost like a safety net. Yes. Cause like I mentioned, I have, I've gotten more comfortable with my risk tolerance and using other people's money, but I still want to be prepared for like a worst case scenario. Um, because obviously with these four properties, my goal is to burr out of them in six months. So I'll do a cash out refi. I'll pay back my private lenders. I'll pay back my hard money lender. Um, but worst case scenario, I want to be able to come to the table. Like if I get a low appraisal and I can't pull all my cash out, I want to be prepared for that. Or obviously I have to have reserves for my other properties that I already have, you know, because of course, once I start working on all of these renovations, something's going to break at one of my existing properties. So, so I'm just getting more comfortable by having more reserves of my own. Um, so that makes me personally feel more comfortable using other people's money. I like that. So reserves, um, kind of, you don't have to give us like the exact number, but you know, you have your HELOC or whatever. Um, where are you, what, what's your comfort level with reserves? Do you have something for all your properties or in, do you keep a certain amount for each property? How do you go about that? So the Stealthy Rich on Instagram, I love their philosophy on this. And they, um, I heard on a podcast interview they did, they like to do 5,000 per property, just a flat number. Like 
I am sorry, I'm not one of those, I'm gonna take a percent here and a percent there. Like I'm, I hate math and that sounds really complicated and annoying and I'm just not gonna do it. I'm just being honest. So I like to have around five grand per property that is easily liquid. Um, however, I don't wanna to have too much just sitting in my account because then it's wasted money in my opinion. Um, so I kind of balance it out. Like I said, I have my HELOC, I have a credit card with a high balance that I kind of just keep ready and willing to go. And then I do have some in cash, but I also have my Roth IRA. And I think that's a, an untapped area for a lot of investors where you can actually withdraw all of your contributions at any point. You just can't withdraw your, um, your earnings or whatever your gains. So that's another backup, backup, backup I have. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing is just have a lot of contingencies when it comes to reserves. Um, I know for me personally, I do something very similar going into my first flip. I had all the cash for all of, all of it. Um, but knowing that I have a credit card and I have a 401k that I can pull a loan and an IRA and all this other stuff as well, just gives me that extra level of comfortability as well as having more cash on hand than I need to budget that I have in my budget, at least as of right now, I'm sure I'll go over because it's my first, but. <laughs> you definitely will. <laughs> I, I only went over a thousand on my flip. So I was pretty proud. I was like, that was a pretty good estimate. And I came up with the like scope of work and everything without talking to anyone. Like I made it for my contractor and I was like, that was pretty impressive for my first time. It's bad because I'm going to be living there for hopefully only six months. But because I'm living there, I'm seeing things on like Amazon and Home Depot that I'm like, I really want it right now. Today, I looked at one of the things you see at like a brewery where you put the glass down and the water shoots up to clean it. And I'm like, I need to have it at my sink. So 200 bucks. Need it. Someone's going to like it. <laughs> what is I think Lauren and Kyle talked about that, like um, scope creep or something. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. It is a real thing. It was, it was hard for us on our, um, first house hack, uh, that, you know, was how I call it the burr hack. Um, that was hard for us was to be like, all right, are we going to spend $3,000 in granite countertops? Or are we going to buy the $500 secondhand butcher block? And we went with the butcher block, but like in my heart, I'm like, I really wanted that beautiful countertop. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a real thing. So bill be careful. <laughs> I am trying my best. I'm trying to create efficiencies around acquiring some of the larger ticket items, you know, and avoid shipping costs and things to keep my costs down. So I'm trying so that I can splurge on some of those, those things that maybe are a little more flashy on the end that maybe will catch a buyer's eye, but I'm trying my best not to add too much scope creep. Um, so Mindy, how did you find your contractors? So I actually, that's another thing that happened on my flip. I had never partnered with anyone previously, right? And I was, I think a lot of it was similar to the money thing. It was like, I wasn't comfortable yet. I was still learning. And so I was anxious to be partnering with anyone and be like, I don't want to be the newbie in the partnership, but I wasn't ready to be like the lead partner, if that makes sense. And then with my flip, I was like, all right, I feel ready. I'm confident. And so um, I did partner with um, someone else here in my local market, and that was part of his responsibility was bringing a contractor. And so he had found um, the contractor through word of mouth, 
through other investors that recommended him. And then we checked out his Facebook and um, we've actually, he's worked on several projects for me since, and he's going to be doing all of my upcoming ones. Um, and he does a great job. And, you know, I don't, I mean, as long as he keeps doing a great job, I, that was one of my other, you know, big things previously, like, who am I going to use for these renovations? And like, I think the thing that I like the most is like, for example, at our flip house, there was a situation where something happened and you know, it could have caused everyone to stop working, have to call me, get my input. And instead, like I showed up and he's like, here was the problem. Here's what I did to solve it. And I was like, cool. And nobody even talked to me. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy. So. Yeah. So, excuse me, sorry. Um, how did you budget that original? If you, did you read books? Did you find an Excel spreadsheet from somebody? Like, how did you, how did you only come $1,000? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how? Yeah. Um, okay. So remember we've talked about how I've literally done like every job under the sun. Um, back in my early twenties, I actually worked for a builder for a hot minute. And, um, so I kind of had that outline of, you know, just everything's always going to go over. So of course I had my contingency budget already there and we definitely use that. Um, but I read the bigger pockets book on estimating rehab costs by Jay Scott. Um, and I keep that with me in case there's something I'm not certain of. And then the other thing I did is I got some coaching a while back from a really tenured investor here in our market that flips like dozens of houses a year. And um, he sent me his like scope of work outline. And so it has like line item, line item, like walking the exterior. What are you looking for? Walking the interior. And so I use that for guide. Now I'm comfortable, like just, I can go in and be like, okay, I, this is gonna be 20,000. Like I've gotten, cause I've looked at and analyzed so many properties now. And I know, you know, what things are costing um, in our market. And so, yeah, all of that combined, I think is kind of it. And of course that more for cosmetics cause it was a lipstick flip, if you will. Like we didn't have to do anything major. So I'm comfortable with lipstick rehabs. <laughs> so I've heard a couple of times, Mindy, you've mentioned the word comfortability. And I think it's super important for people to understand as they're getting into this business, you know, what their level of comfort is, what their level of, of risk is. Um, and jumping into kind of the scaling that I find just absolutely incredible. Um, what kind of processes and systems did you feel were absolutely critical that you wouldn't have been comfortable to get into that scale without having them, you know, down pat. And then what other kind of systems and processes were you maybe like, eh, I'll kind of figure them out as I go. So I will be 100% honest. I know my weaknesses and systems and processes here. We have talked about this multiple times, not my strong suit at all. I'm more like, you know, creative, everything will get figured out. I've got it all in my brain. It's all good. Um, <laughs> but a couple of things that have helped me and is really going to help me, especially with four projects all at once that I'm managing is, um, well, Maria told me about um, 
avail. So I, I did inherit a tenant with one of my properties and I'm trying out self-managing. And so I'm using avail for that. So that's helpful because it like starts you with lease all the way through. They can make their rent payments and everything in there. And it's like five or $10 a month. So I'm using avail for that. Um, and then I use Stessa for my rehabs. Um, and like when I'm talking about just line items, how much everything is going to cost. I think I saw Lauren and Kyle do this where they like, you use a spreadsheet basically and you have the link so you can just copy and paste that to your next project because I, that's a system I do have in place is I use the same flooring, same paint, like same countertops, all of that. So I'm just gonna replicate that from the last one. And so I already have my link to go out and buy it if I need to go buy it um, and how much it costs for the last one. And then, you know, I know if this space is gonna be a little bit bigger, whatever, I can adjust the price. Um, but other than that, I also that, um, that coaching that I had with the seasoned investor here, he also provided me um, with, you know, something that kind of helps outline like start to finish on a flip or a burr, like every single thing, like get homeowner's insurance, go deposit your earnest deposit, um, call utilities. Like, so I have like that I can look at and I probably should use written form, but I just kind of use it in my head right now. <laughs> utilities. That is something I always forget to do. We'll, we'll be like, you know, closing day and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, I forgot to turn the water on in, in our name and the electric. And, and then it takes, you know, a couple, especially if it's in a vacant property, sometimes it can take days and sometimes they have to come out and do an inspection. And I'm like, that checklist would be very helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, today I closed on a house at noon and at 1138, I called Matt, my husband, I delegate utilities to him. And I was like, um, I need you to turn utilities on on this house. <laughs> so we're still doing that. Don't get me wrong, but hey, at least we're getting them turned on. We're two peas in a pod, Mindy. <laughs> um, so self-managing versus property management. You said something about um, now doing self-managing. So did you have a property management company beforehand? I still have property management for my first three properties. I'm self-managing one of them. My mom's living there. So of course I'm self-managing that one. Um, but the one I inherited, I just wanted to try it out and see if I liked it. And I mean, it's easy enough. I just don't know if I'm going to want to keep doing it. So I'm still on the fence on if I'm going to take mine um, in-house. And the Airbnb that I'm doing, I'm definitely not self-managing that. So my property manager will be taking that on. Um, and there's several reasons for that. but. So yeah, I'm doing a little bit of both just to see like long-term what makes sense for me. And it's probably property management, just being honest. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. Like I, I like some aspects, like I like having say in who's going to be occupying the house and, um, you know, anytime there is a repair needed, that kind of stuff. But I feel like my property manager and I have a pretty good relationship to where they do still keep me pretty involved, but it's like, it's more like a team versus me just passing it off, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, if they ever stop managing, then I'll probably just take it in house. Cause I've heard some horror stories about property management. I also 
Bill, I feel like I'm, I'm stealing the, all the questions here. <laughs> no, I feel like you have a couple that are along this line. I have more okay. uh, for later. <laughs> well, then going just real quick back, Mindy, then to what you said about, you know, using your, your hard money and your private money lenders. Do you ask um, your private money lenders where they're actually getting their money from? Like, do you know if they've used self-directed IRAs or... Um, do they just have the cash laying around? Is that something that you kind of not qualify, but I guess ask beforehand and know where that money's coming from? Um, so all of my private lenders, their money is sitting in a bank account, not doing anything for them right now. So it's a win-win situation for us. Um, I do think now that I've gotten the opportunity to do private lending, and I know a little bit more about it. I also wanna look into the self-directed IRA for our personal IRA that we have. Um, and so that'll be another one once I get comfortable with it for me that you know, then I could go pitch that to other folks. Um, that Because one of the things I've been finding out, like the more I talk to people, everybody wants to be an investor at some level, but that looks different for everyone. Like all of my private lenders, for one reason or another, they do not want anything to do with the day-to-day -day, like project management. It's basically what I'm going to be doing of, you know, making sure I have the right, all the right pieces to the puzzle, but they still want to benefit from real estate and feel like they're a real estate investor as well. So by them being the bank for me, they're able to do that. And, um, I think they like me talking to them about everything too. I think <laughs> maybe one day they'll be like, will you shut up about it already? But for now they're excited and they're like, oh, so what's going on with that one? And like, they like to be included in it. And, you know, one of them is actually going to help me with the furnishing for that Airbnb. Um, so, so that'll be fun. You know, we're going to go pick out finishings together and stuff. And I am definitely not an interior decorator. So I like that I have that skill set to also help. That is what I think I love about real estate. You can get involved in it in so many different ways. You can be the contractor helping somebody flip their house or getting it ready. I mean, I guess that's not really investing in real estate, but I feel like it creates so many opportunities for a bunch of different people. And if you want to invest in real estate, you can be a private money lender if you don't want to do any of the actual searching for the deals and, you know, figuring out what to do with them and, you know, all that good stuff. So that, that's really cool. That that's a really good point to bring up. Yeah. I actually, um, I did a, I don't remember probably a reel. That's what all the cool kids do now, but I think I did one on like diversifying in REI and like this year alone, you know, I, and I might be stealing your thunder on questions you have, but since becoming unemployed from my W2 job, um, I'm easily going to be bringing in six figures from real estate this year. And I'm doing that through all the different income streams that there are because I'm a licensed agent. So I just closed on a listing that I had today. So I'm going to get a commission from that. I've done a wholesale deal. Um, I flipped a house. I've got rental income coming in and I do some coaching here and there for other folks that want to get started in real estate. So I've got five income streams now. Um, all things that I love doing and you know, I'm all over the place and I like to try new things. So 
it also makes me feel good inside to have different ways to make money. Like it keeps me interested and challenged. So I think they say that every, like most millionaires have seven income streams, but it sounds like with those five, if they're very strong, you're well on your way if you aren't already. So I'm flipping (laughs) bikes too. I forgot about that one. It's not houses, but I flip bikes. Um. (laughs) Wait, like bicycles or motorcycles? My son just yelled in the background. You flip everything, mom. Um, Yeah. So, so for the flipping, just bicycles that you ride, um, my little brother and my dad are my acquisition team. They go out and find them. My brother fixes them up and then I'm dispositions. So I market them on Facebook marketplace and sell them. And then we split the profits. (laughs) That's incredible. You and I might need to talk because I want to buy a bike and I haven't bought a bike since I was 12 and we, we might need to talk. Yeah, my brother can hook you up. He knows all of the deets on all of the cool bikes. So very cool. Thank you. <laughs> so I guess let's get into Mindy. Um, the W2. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about you know what happened with that. And it, you seem to be in such a good place that maybe it was for the best. So kind of fill us in on, on what happened with your W2. Yeah. So I, that's another, um, if I ever want to fall back on it, my, my career was in the insurance industry and I have, you know, 15 ish years of experience in that field. I worked my way up the corporate ladder and all of that good stuff. And I had a great job benefits, all of that. And of course, at the beginning of the year, I was laid off. Um, I will say that, you know, at the time it was a very hard transition. And I even still to this day, you know, six months later, I still have my days where I'm like, I need to go back and get a job. And then I'm like, five minutes later, I'm like, no, you don't. Um, (laughs) No, you don't. But for me, I think I had always grown up and been programmed that you get a good job. You be grateful and thankful that you're getting that paycheck and you're getting those benefits, and you're getting those two weeks of vacation a year. And so it just, it took a while to deprogram that out of my system, I guess. And like all those years, I never understood why I was constantly like going from this job to this job or like questioning things. And like, I didn't know that I was an entrepreneur all those years. So I lost 15 years of my entrepreneurial spirit So that's why I'm in such a good place now is because I've got 15 years to make up for. And all that being said, I am very grateful for my career because had I started being an entrepreneur back in my twenties, I was kind of a shit show, let's be honest. And I didn't have any of the skill sets that I got from working with corporate America and they were taking on the risk, right? And I was getting that comfortable paycheck. Um, while I was learning skills. So I think W2s, if people can like look at them more as what can this do for me? How can I benefit from this? Like I learned stuff like business development, contract negotiations, like marketing, like all of these skill sets that I got to practice with someone else's company and get good at and be like, okay, I like doing that. That was really lame. I don't want to do that. And so it helped me with, now I know, like, these are the things I'm good at. These are my weaknesses. I need to delegate those out. So I I feel like it all happened for a reason. 
And after that few months of like depression, transition, figuring life out, like making sure that I wasn't going to go back because I tried. (laughs) Um, Now I'm in a spot where it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm really good. And every person that I like run into these days, you're like, you just look happy and like, and I feel good inside. So yeah. That's incredible. I mean, it's so great to hear. You said you're well on your way to a six figure year without the job. I mean, it's just, it's great to hear happiness, right? Um, I guess my question is, was the job loss due to COVID or due to downsizing of the company? Was there a specific reason for it? Um, it was just COVID. Like there was layoffs yeah. and yeah. Um, and I think one thing, since we're on the topic of like W-2s and entrepreneurial and all that, I think a lot of people, I always see messages about like, don't leave your job until you have this much income and this much passive income. And it's like, it's not all black and white for everyone. There's definitely gray areas. And if your mental and physical health is suffering where you're at, then no, you don't need passive income. You need to get out of that situation and you need to get into a situation that's better. And for some people that might look like transitioning from full-time to part-time. And you know, there's, there's lots of different paths. I don't like when people are like, you have to be an entrepreneur or you have to be W2 until you've reached by. And like, I just feel like everyone's path is different. And I'm fortunate because I do have my husband who's a W2 employee. So he was able to get our benefits for us. And, um, you know, from a lending perspective, that's important. So, so everyone's situation is different though, I think. I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's super personal. Um, and everybody has their own risk tolerance, their own preferences Some people like their W-2s. I mean, some people can just tolerate it. It might just be a easy job that they kind of mm-hmm. quote unquote work eight hours a day. Um, <laughs> but you and I can relate, Mindy. I mean, I lost, Jesus, two jobs <laughs> in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I can totally relate to that. Um, I guess my question was, you know, following, you know, that initial, you know, week after it happened, what kind of, what steps did you take to kind of get out of the mindset of, oh my God, I just lost my job. Um, (laughs) And like, how did your day-to-day change uh, from that point forward? Um, Well, it was more like two months, not a week, but (laughs) who's counting. Um, (laughs) But I had to pull myself out because the same week that I got laid off, I went under contract for that house I was flipping. And so I had to pull myself together because I was closing on this house and I had to make it all work. And I, I honestly think that flip house saved my life um, because it gave me like something meaning every day, like get up, you have things to do, go pick out these things, go, you know, pool weeds in the yard. Like there was a bunch of stuff I didn't even have to do, but I was doing because I needed it inside. And like, it helped me realize like, I really, really enjoy this and I want to do more of this. And then I was like, let's find some more houses. (laughs) And then 
Yeah. So I think that was part of it. Um, and being honest, I posted about this too, like mental health is important. And I started counseling because like I told you, it's hard to go from, you know, 15 years of this is how it's supposed to be to now this is your life and you don't have a say in it. It's just happening right now. And so counseling definitely helped. And then of course my morning routine, that was one constant that always, no matter what's going on in my life, I always have my morning routine. And even on my shitty days, like it still gets me to a point where it's like, okay, yeah, things might suck today, but they suck worse for other people. So remember that get up and like, try your best. (laughs) Yeah, I am very much pro mental health. Um, During my first layoff, it happened right before COVID. And I realized that I was never going to have this time potentially again. Uh, so I took a two-week trip to Europe, and I was in Italy f- on my way out of Venice as everything was happening there. Wow. So I was very lucky and fortunate that nothing happened to me. I was able to get out, but I definitely took that as a two-week mental health break. And then COVID hit, and I was unemployed and in a lockdown, stuck in my house in, in Philly. I felt stuck, but um, at the same time, looking back at it, it really was a taste of what freedom looks like, and it kind of now looking back fuels fuels my fire a little bit but in the moment it was very very tough but mental health very very important for I think everybody so are you currently not working then no I I was so I'll go into it so I found a job so I got laid off like end of January and then in like the end of February that two-week trip spent all of March April May and most of June unemployed found a contract a higher role I was supposed to be a six month contract. And then in January, it was supposed to flip to full time. Um, in October of 2020, I found out that they weren't going to flip me to full time uh, due to COVID reasonings. Right. Um, so I immediately started looking. Um, and December 23rd, right before Christmas, uh, was my last day. So it was good. I got to spend Christmas. No, you know, no will, ill will, nothing uh, bad. Just got to spend time with the family. And then just spent January through April unemployed looking for jobs and was fortunate enough to find the job I'm currently at. And I do genuinely like the company. Um, I haven't, it's weird. I haven't been in the office. I'm fully remote. Um, the company is probably 45 minutes from where I'm at today at my parents and probably about an hour from where I'll be moving in my foot. But um, I haven't been there. I haven't met anyone in person, but everyone seems super nice. So I'm happy. I came out the other side all for better. Cool. Well, yeah, I think, you know, like the commuting, I had a 30 minute commute each way. And then like, just the office gossip and all of that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not gonna lie, some days I'm like, I don't miss what's, you know, going on there. But 90, 95% of the time, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, better, better off in the long term, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, does anybody from your past work life kind of like poke around your Instagram or follow you or text you and be like, oh my God, like you're doing so amazing. Like, how do I get started? Or or are they, you know, throwing any kind of shade or, or, or hate towards I, you or anything? I have a lot of previous coworkers that follow me and that I still, you know, go to lunch or happy hour. Now we get to see each other outside of the working environment. And so it's helped those relationships and um, I've actually had some of them bring me deals too. So 
There you go. That is, that is the way to, let's all have ex coworkers bring us, bring us deals if yes. possible. So of those, okay. Of those four deals then that you're, um, you know, either under contract on or closed in the past month, um, what are they all buying holds? Is it a mixture of like a flip and a buying, like buying holds kind of break down the, the four deals for us? So one is the SIR. So it's seller finance. And then I'm doing a light rehab. I'm already renting it, but I'm raising rents. And then I'm going to cash out refi at the six month mark and pay off the seller who's financing me right now. Um, so that's a buy and hold. And then the one I closed on today, the mouse house, um, that will be a buy and hold and um, needs a renovation. So that'll be a typical burr. And then... Um, the next one after this will be another burr. And the fourth one will be the Airbnb that I'm doing by the stadiums here. My next question then is, you know, nobody knows what's going on in this market. Um, do you, and I know that you have reserves and stuff like that, but are you at all nervous, you know, in six months of being able to pay this seller back who you're using this SIR method on? I'm not nervous at all because like I mentioned, I have all of these exit strategies, if you will. I'm a licensed agent, honestly, worst case scenario, like on my backup, 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 I can go and, you know, sell it off for whatever reason. If something happens and I'm not able to refinance it or whatever, I'll help them sell it. Um, so I, I just, I feel like I, spend a lot of nights at like two in the morning, waking up and thinking through the what if scenarios. <laughs> Me too. I I've been there. Yeah. And, uh, I, I do it every night, but, um, I, I just don't see any scenario. Like, I think I told you this before, but I play the game with my husband, talk me out of buying this house. And if he can't talk me out of buying it, then I'm buying it. And, uh, he hasn't been able to talk me out of buying these houses which means I have a plan, I have a backup plan, and then I have a backup backup plan. So it's like, and honestly with the market, you know, I'm in Kansas City and um, even if the market does change, there's enough wiggle room in these deals that like probably the worst case scenario is gonna be, you know, me having to leave a little bit of my money in the deal. And I'm fine with that, so. So you have options. Lots of options. And I think that's important when you're taking on as much, much risk like I am right now to have lots of options so that you can sleep most of the night. <laughs> most of it is, is yeah. the key there. <laughs> yeah. So what are your other four properties before that, before these the old ones? Yeah. What were the four? They're all, in... they're all long-term rentals. Okay. Okay. And were any of them did you have to burr any of those? Yeah, I burred um, the first two I just bought off MLS and I just leveraged other people's money for the down payment and did a traditional loan. And then my third and fourth one were burrs. And I think I told you my fourth one, I actually got paid like $3,600 to own the house. I have zero money and I made money to own the house. So I want to do that again. <laughs> tell it, tell us a little bit about that. How, how did that work? 
Um, well, I found it from a wholesaler. He was asking like 50,000 and um, he was like, I already have someone who is willing to do, it was like 45 or something like that. And I was like, oh, I'll give you 38 and I can close this week. And I didn't even know if that was actually true, but I was hoping it was. Um, <laughs> and um, I used my HELOC for that. So I knew I just needed to write a check, right? So I didn't have to borrow anyone's money or anything, but yeah. So I bought it for 38 and then put around 38 into it and then appraised at 105. And so I did the loan for 75% loan to value. And then, like I said, at closing, they wrote me a check for $3,600 or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, that was, that's my, been my best one yet. I mean, the flip was a pretty nice profit too, but it's not going to keep paying me every year for the rest of my life. Like that one is. Do you like the burrs better because you get to hold on to them or did you enjoy the thrill of the flip? See, I want to do a mixture because, um, remember I told you, I loved how your Instagram said I fix and flip so I can buy and hold. And it's like, I don't want to do a lot of flips because I, I get emotionally attached to these houses. I'm being yes. honest. Like I miss the Ray ranch. Like, like I said, that house like saved my life at a dark moment in my life and transition and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'll probably drive by it in 10 years and be like, I flipped that house. But yeah, I'll probably just do a couple of flips here and there and then mainly buy and hold though. And I'm getting into Airbnbs. So I'm going to see how that goes and probably add a couple more of those because that's really hot right now in some of my local markets. I feel like, so I've known you, Mindy, for gosh, <laughs> almost two years now. Um, and I feel like you've explored a lot of strategies along our, our journey together. And I know one of them, uh, you know, I'm looking for an RV park. I know you explored that at one point. Um, now you're Airbnb, you've done flips, you've done burrs. Um, ha like, how do you contain your shiny, you know, shiny object syndrome and, and sticking. <laughs> I sticking don't contain doing. my shiny object syndrome. <laughs> I embrace it. There you. Okay. I've told you though, like even in my professional career, I was literally like every year or two, I was like, I'm bored. I need a new challenge. I'm bored. I need a new challenge. And it's like, yeah, I can keep doing this other stuff. Like I just said, I'm going to keep doing some burrs because I know how to do that now, but I'm bored and I need a new challenge. And I've I also like long-term, I want to be able to help others too. And it's already starting to happen for me in my market where people are recognizing me and like messaging me, asking me questions, asking for lunch, things like that. So the more I know a little bit about a lot of things, the more I can help like connect people to what's good for them. You do a little bit of coaching. Is it related to real estate or is it, um, I know that you, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot about like HSAs and IRAs and all that kind of stuff. So where, where does your coaching go? What do you do? Wherever for the person needs me, I diversify with coaching as well. Um, you know, I've, I've coached on like morning routine, physical and mental well-being. I've coached on budgeting. I've coached career um, and like resume help, that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot is real estate. I, I want to get started and I don't know how. 
how do you find most of your deals that you just said that, um, you found, I forget now which one, one of them on the MLS. Um, but it sounds like you don't actually get a lot of them from the MLS. So are you doing off market marketing or is it, it feels like everybody you're probably going to tell me it's word of mouth, but (laughs) I am. Um, so, so this is, I've been saying this over and over to people. I don't find the deals anymore. The deals find me now. I'm at that point because I have focused on like, I network a ton. And by network, I mean, I go and talk to people about things that I want to talk about and I enjoy talking about. So I go eat co- or go eat lunch, have coffee, drinks, whatever. I network, 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 network. And that was one thing I was doing during the transitional phase of going out and talking to people. And now I have people like, while we've been sitting here, I've gotten a couple of Facebook messages of, Hey, Mindy, I got a property. And so I'm getting those deals before they're sent out to the mass cash buyer list that that wholesaler has, for example. Um, my, one of my recent purchases came from a friend and book club, a friend of a friend of hers was selling a house. Um, old coworkers trying to think where else. Oh, one was, um, just from some of the local meetup groups that I'm in, cause I'm pretty active in those too, but yeah, now, oh, and I've had even like my lender has been sending me leads. So I guess I have a question. So for, if there was somebody who just was net new, zero connections in this space, <laughs> um, you know, they don't even know an electrician for their own apartment kind of new, what um, advice would you give them to kind of start networking and start building out uh, those well, relationships? So when I was a newbie, what I did is I went out and I searched up bigger pockets and I put Kansas City next to it. And so I listened to all of the guests that were on bigger pockets that were in my market. And I became friends. I made connections with those people. Um, I mentioned I got some coaching from one of those people. And just from those few people, then they say, oh, you need to talk to this person about lending. You need to talk to this contractor. You need to talk to this property manager. So when you talk to other people that are in your market doing the same thing that you want to do, they want to talk about it. They want to share. Of course, you know, if they're at a level where they're really killing it, you're probably going to have to pay for that. So that's something to consider. Um, but I did. And I, I even had that seasoned investor, my first few deals that I analyzed, I, um, called them and like told them all the numbers and they helped me walk through it and think through the deals. And I paid them for their time to help me analyze deals. And that helped me. I took all of those skill sets and now I can use them. Um, so yeah, I would say starting there, like, you know, finding the investors in your market, joining your local real estate meetups and the one. So I have to give credit to Jen and Joe for their little Facebook challenge thing that they did where like I, on my Facebook, I'm always posting, not in an annoying way, or maybe I am, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I don't think it's annoying, but I post like once a week, something about real estate and some of them are subtle and some of them are like, send me leads. So I'm constantly reminding people, you can't just post one time. 
you have to post consistently. Um, so that's another area that they could just start talking about. And like, once people start seeing you as an investor and they'll start taking you seriously and they'll be like, especially like wholesalers, they'll be like, oh, I've got a deal for you. Are you a cash buyer? And I mean, you have to be able to do all the things that come after that, but you can figure all that out if you get the deal. So. Yeah, it's super important. I feel like to just tell everybody and anybody what you're doing and yeah, you like, there's a way to go about it. And I think you do a good job because I follow you on Facebook. I think you do a good job of being like not annoying about it and not like right. in your face about it to the point where people are like, Oh yeah, Mindy. Yes. She, she buys houses. She follows through. She knows what she's doing. And I'm sure that's also how you've gotten your private money lenders. And then even with some of your hard money lenders, like I'm sure they've, you know, asked to see some kind of a track record at some point. So I think it all pays off. Yeah. All of my private money, hard money, um, property management even. And what else is there? Contractor. Um, like all of those people live on the book of face. <laughs> so go out to Facebook and, um, yeah. And there's always at least one local meetup. I don't care where you live. There's, we all like to talk about it. So there's a meetup in your area, go find it and go talk to those people and like, be honest. People can tell like if you're, you know, fake, or if you're just trying to like make money or whatever, people aren't going to care. But if you come across genuine and you're not annoying, like that's a skill set within itself. Um, that would probably be a whole nother long podcast, but <laughs> I do agree though. When you go to meetups or you are on Facebook, like don't a lot of people fake it till they make it. Like, I think you can do that to an extent, but definitely need to be, <laughs> need to be genuine about kind of, you know, where you're at in your real estate investing. Like if you haven't done 10, 20 deals, like don't pretend like you have, you know, at least be upfront and honest with that kind of stuff. And I think that goes a long way in being genuine, but Mindy, you were talking about, um, about paying for education and, or paying for people's time. And I, I, I feel like this is like a debate within this, you know, the like-minded investors community. Like there are people who are on one side of the coin where they say you can find everything and anything you need on, on bigger pockets through books, through podcasts, like, or on the other side, it's like, well, pay, just pay for it. And it, I don't know, in my opinion, it's kind of like, you can either spend that time doing all of that. It could take you maybe a year or two years to dig through all of that information out there, or you could find the people and the courses who are going to help you actually get there a lot quicker. So, or the coaches kind of what's, yeah. what's your take on, on paying for um, an education in this real estate investing world? Well, first off, you don't want to waste their time or your time for that matter. You can't just come to them and be like, I woke up this morning, decided I want to invest in real estate. Don't be that person. Nobody likes that person, right? Don't do that. Um, so like the books, the podcasts, all of that, like I told you, I spent like a 30 to 60 day window. That was all I did and all like eat, slept, breathe, books, podcasts, educating myself so that I had the basics and I could have an educated conversation with someone who was killing it in the field, right? 
So I think there's like, depending on the person, my timeline was a couple months for others. It might be a little bit shorter, a little bit longer, but you've got to have that initial research phase for yourself. So you can talk the talk. And then when you're ready to start walking the walk, go find someone that's doing it and be willing to compensate them for their time, a reasonable amount. If they're charging something outrageous, like that's stupid. You don't want to talk to that person. Um, but so, yeah, I do think there's, it has to be a mixture. And then after that, you have to like go and do it. You can't just read about it, listen about it, talk to someone else about it. Like at some point you have to get those hands on skills and do the damn thing and expect to mess stuff up because you're going to, and then you'll learn from it and hopefully not do it on the next one. Just to piggyback on that, I think one of the things that people confuse compensation with is is monetary. Um, I don't personally always think it has to be dollars and cents. I think it could be, you know, something that could help the person. I know one thing that I did um, was given that I had a little more free time on my hand when I lost my job was I figured out what value I could add to somebody and reached out and just tried my best to add value and save them time, save, save them effort and create efficiencies within their own business. Um, so yeah, that's uh, a great point. Like you, it doesn't have to be money. A lot of times, especially like someone like me, if you came to me and you're like, I can take all of this paperwork off of your hands, the utility company, you'll never even have to say utility again, like that kind of stuff. I would be like, all right, I will talk to you all weekend long and tell you all of my secrets, you know? Um, so that's a really, really great point to bring up too, that it doesn't have to be all about money. And I think we were talking about networking too, and this kind of ties back to it. Um, there's a book called The Go-Giver. I don't know the author, but The Go-Giver is a great book that I, I recommend to people because it's kind of similar to like what you said, like all of these people that I have, you know, messaging me leads and things like that. I give back, like I, it's a reciprocal thing. I don't want them to just be like me, 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 when I'm, you know, talking to them, I want leads, give me this, me, me, me. I'm like, what do you need? How can I help you? And like, like the whole, you know, I, we talked about coaching and paying and all of that. And it's like, now I'm at a point where where I can give back, I am trying to give back. I'm trying to put quality content out there. I have a lot of um, like folks that I mentor for where, you know, they have one little piece that was missing to them getting started. And I'm like, here you go, go do it. And I love being a part of that. So yeah, I think at some point too, you can transition where you're able to give that value back too. Once you are dangerous enough to <laughs> give advice to others. And some people aren't and still do, but that's another topic too. <laughs> I know you sure. feel me on that. We've talked about it. <laughs> we have, we have. I think that's a great thing though, too. I feel like um, 
I think I even said this on the pod. I feel like we've brought up Lauren and Kyle so many times, but on the podcast that we record with Lauren and Kyle, I feel like I said something similar about how I was kind of brought up. My parents flipped houses. They had rental properties. And I was kind of brought up to think that other investors in our local market were our competitors. But in the past five, six years, I've realized that is not the case. Like we are all in this together. Like we, like people just love help. Most people love helping others and giving back once they are comfortable with what they're doing. So that is so cool that you're doing that. Like absolutely amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you as a guest. I mean, going back to what Lauren and Kyle said, I think uh, rising tides rise all ships or whatever it is. And nobody can buy every single property in a city, uh, even a, just a regular old block. It's pretty hard. So um, having other people help out and making sure that property and that neighborhood looks super nice and will only right. help and in the long run. <laughs> I've been saying, I think I posted this yesterday, but there's room for everyone at the closing table and like. I I'm to a point now where it's like, I mean, yeah, I'm still doing me, but I'm like, okay, all the people that are around me that are like my circle, I want to help them elevate too. Like, cause what fun is having wealth and having time freedom. If you don't have anyone to hang out with, yep. you know? So that's a million dollar statement right there. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I think one of the mindsets of, of retiring early or, or um, creating passive income is all this time freedom, but you know, there's 24 hours in a day and most people spend eight of it asleep, eight of it at a job and the other eight kind of on a couch watching Netflix, you're going to have so much time on your hands. Um, so I guess that kind of leads a question of like, what are you planning once you finally reach that fire number, whatever it is, you know, how, how do you plan on spending that time? Well, I mean, I'm already, semi-retired, I guess. I'm more just doing this for fun at this point because we're at a position financially where my, with my husband's W-2, we're able, we live very low below our means. Um, and so I technically don't have to do any of this. It's more because I love doing it. And that takes a lot of um, pressure and stress off of me. And I think that's why you can like see and people are starting to be like, you seem like you're good and you're passionate and blah, 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 because I'm doing it because truly I want to, not because I have to. Um, But that being said, you know, I'll probably always do this. Like (laughs) I'll tell my husband, like, I'm only going to buy one more house this year. I told him that. And then like the very next hour, I was writing my 90 day goals in my new intention journal. And I wrote down that I wanted to buy three. Nice. Um, so yeah, I lied to my husband a lot about how many houses I'm going to buy. <laughs> so anyways, I don't, I don't remember what your question was. I don't think I answered it. <laughs> That's okay. Perfectly. Okay. I think in a lot of ways it was answered because I think having fun with it and enjoying what you do is I think the end goal. I mean, yeah. And I mean, I, I think kind of going forward, um, another thing I did during my transition phase is I started a nonprofit um, and it hasn't really like taken off the ground running yet, but um, we've been able to help one person with it. And my goal is to get to a point where 
I can do something with my nonprofit and I just need to find someone that'll help reel me in and get it going so I can focus on it for five minutes. And so I want to do that. Um, so that's something else I'll do with my time. I'm going to write a book. We've talked about that. And other than that, I mean, just taking care of my health and having fun, going skating at two o'clock on a Tuesday, like I did today. <laughs> After that. your closing. Yeah. I went and closed a house and then I went to the skating rink. <laughs> and then after we're done, I'm going to look at a house. So that's, that's incredible. Awesome. Yeah. Um, do you, for anybody who's listening on audio, do you want to drop the name of the nonprofit? Maybe if there's a website or Instagram or something, we can kind of tag it yeah. in the show notes to help out if anybody's interested, of course. I haven't set anything up with it yet, but it's called Hand Up. And I started it with another local investor who's doing big stuff in the market. And um, yeah, our, our goal is to do something with real estate to help people. So I just need to think through it a little bit more um, and make a more concrete like goal going forward with it. But Well, whenever you have that, we'd be more than happy to share it and and help out in any way we can. I'm sure Kirsten agrees. Yes, absolutely. Bill, you know me, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of what would be, I guess, your biggest piece of advice for them getting started? Um, I mean, I think there's two major things that they need to focus on and they're kind of totally different, but one is their mindset and like you really like mindset, you're not just going to wake up one day and have a mindset, like I'm going to be a millionaire one day. You know, it's something you have to constantly like train at and work at and like sculpt it and keep doing it consistently. So I think like keeping that positive mindset and, you know, meditating can help with that. Those positive affirmations, um, just really kind of whatever you need to do for that mindset to help you get your confidence up and, um, really have a positive outlook on life so you can get through the stuff that gets crazy because it will. Um, so that's one big piece is always, always take care of your mindset, like five, 10 minutes a day, start your day thinking about your mindset, get into the right one, and then you can accomplish anything. And then I think the other piece is like relationships are everything. And like I said, you know, you can go about things with the me, me, me man mentality, but it's going to be a pretty lonely way to do things. And it's going to take you a lot longer to get wherever you're wanting to go if you're trying to do everything by yourself. So start forming relationships and do it in a way where you're like not expecting anything in return. And you'd be surprised what you'll get in return when you don't expect anything. <laughs> um so yeah, I think those are the two big things that it, and it's crazy because when people ask for advice, I rarely say anything about a certain strategy or real estate, to, honestly, because there's so much you have to do before you even get to that point. And so. I think a running thing, a theme of kind of what we've been talking about tonight is everything is different for everybody. Like everyone is in a different situation. Every strategy, like one strategy might be great for one person and it might be horrible for another. Like, I just, I think that it, you know, even with the debt thing, 
you can't give a blanket statement, pay off your debt beforehand. Cause you don't know if someone has a 2.8% interest loan on a, on a car or a 20% interest loan on, um, on a, on a credit card or something like that. So yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree. I like that. Well, and even like the shiny object syndrome, I've had so many people shun me about me not being able to focus. And I'm like, no, this is who I am. And like, I can't systemize and process and just pump out the same thing over and over. Cause that's not who I am as a person. I'm creative. I'm left-handed. Like I enjoy the creative space and the new challenges. And that's what helps me to thrive and do what I'm doing right now. Like if I was just doing the same thing over and over, I would get bored and I would lose my passion. So my last question, Bill, I don't know if you have anything else, but my last question is, would you do anything differently if you could, would, or do you like your path? Do you like where you're at? <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I think like, I don't really look back too often and like trying to live here. That doesn't always work. I'm usually looking forward, <laughs> but I think honestly, most of the stuff in my life that led up to where I am right now is why I'm here right now. Like I went through some crazy stuff. I, you know, took a certain path. But I think all of it built like the character of who I am today. So, I mean, I'm good. I'm good with who I am. Love it. I love it too. I do have one <laughs> final question. Oh, let's hear it. It's going to be very controversial. We're going to make uh, some people very upset. Kansas City is known for their barbecue. Can you rank? <laughs> Like after Kansas City, who has, because we're going to assume you're going to say Kansas City's number one, who has the second best barbecue in your opinion? I don't really eat that much barbecue. Um, <laughs> what a letdown, Mindy. What a letdown. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you, Bill. I could see your face is like, oh. Uh, I know. But from what I've heard, Kansas City is the best. And I do like, it's Oklahoma Joe's. They call it KC Joe's or Joe's case. I don't remember what it's called now, but it was originally Oklahoma Joe's and it's like in a gas station here. And there's always a line like two blocks down the road out of this gas station to get barbecue. That's so that's where you have incredible. to go in Kansas City. If, if I'm ever there, I will look you up and I will get barbecue and I might have to make you have it with me. <laughs> awesome. I will eat it. I do like burn-ins. So Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Up, up here in the Northeast, we uh like to say we have barbecue but i don't think it counts <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah bill and i are about what 45 minutes apart so i don't know either bill mm -mm. so mindy where can people find out more about you where can they get in contact if they want some coaching from you kind of tell us where people can learn more or get in contact with you i'm most active on instagram at investing in your wealth and I have a website, um, investinginyourwealth.com. That's where you can find out about my coaching and I have some other stuff on there. And then I'm also on Facebook um, under Mindy Templeton. And then I have my LLC. I have a business page over there, KC Property Holdings. So that's me. Or if you're in Kansas City, like I've met several people off the gram in real life and I love meeting people in real life. So I'm going to get out there one day. I know you are. And I'm going to come up your way too. Yep. I'm going to bring my, my RV. <laughs> I'm coming to Kansas city someday too. And if you come up 
we'll make sure we all meet up because absolutely like, like you said we're close by yeah yeah we'll have to do a, a in-person podcast yes that would be awesome eating, eating some barbecue <laughs> definitely <laughs> well thank you so much mindy for being on the podcast this was amazing i think people are going to get a lot of value from this Yes. Thanks for having me guys. Have a good rest of your night. You too. Thanks. Take care. All right. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.